0: This show furnished by Keylight Counseling Center. Are you looking for an alternative to drug and alcohol rehabilitation that allows you to recover in the privacy of your own home with an individualized program that meets your specific needs? Concierge Detox LA can be that alternative. Headed by medical addiction specialist Dr. Damon Raskin and clinical psychologist Dr. Howard Gloss, Concierge Detox LA will design an individualized program to meet your recovery needs. For more information, contact Concierge Detox LA at 323-935-9712.
1: Although you'll be receiving valuable advice from our host, please remember, this is not therapy. It does not replace a relationship with a qualified mental health professional.
2: I'm Dr. G, and we're here with Engaging Minds. Every week, we like to look at our world in a deeper, more psychological point of view. If you want to call in tonight, the number is 1-800-222-5222. That's one 1-800- 800 222 You can also email us at engage790 at gmail.com. And what we're going to be focusing on tonight is a subject that is very dear to me, and I'm going to explain to you why. Then I'm going to bring on my panel. It's called Healing the Wounds of Trauma. And what got me thinking about this was a recent incident that happened here in California at Poway uh, in Poway, where there was an attack on a Chabad synagogue that killed one person and injured three people. And it hit home for me because both my parents were Holocaust survivors and I had grown up with a lot of trauma and uh, the experience of them and living through a lot of their trauma. Cause as we know, trauma is something that affects you the rest of their li- you, the rest of your lives. When this incident happened, Again, I always thought I live in this bubble where things like this don't happen to me, and suddenly that bubble was burst, and my reality changed, and it brought me back to that experience of what my parents must have gone through in a in some ways in a in a very powerful way. but this is how these things this is how hate crimes form a lot of times is that uh you know it's what a psychologists call a projection of uh, some real internal hate onto a group of people that in my opinion a lot of times has something has more to do with the person who's committing the crime because there's something within them that a lot of times they hate very deeply and they want to project that onto someone that they feel is uh, activating that or they feel weaker or deserves their punishment And it hit me very deeply, and I thought about this concept of how we heal the wounds of trauma, and I wanted to organize a panel of experts who can help us deal with trauma from many different perspectives, because trauma is not just, let's say, trauma about war. It could be sexual trauma. It could be uh, trauma that is related to any kind of abuse. There are people that are going to come on the we will be talking about trauma related to having a loved one being murdered. So it's really all of that. And um, again, if you want to call in, the number is 1-800-222-5222. If you've experienced any trauma or want to share your story or ask our panel any questions, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So let me bring them on and have them introduce themselves. We have Tanya McKenzie. She's the owner of Sands & Shore Public Relations. She's a child advocate and author of A Child's Memory of Cartoons and Murder. Tanya, I want to welcome you back to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here.
2: It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And then uh, I'm going to bring on Alicia Hanif. She's Development Operations Coordinator with Bunker Labs H headquarters, Alicia. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show.
4: It's great to be here. Thank you.
2: And we have Dr. Joanne Barron. She is a psychologist and co-founder of CE and CEO of Trauma Be and Beyond Psychological Center.
5: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
2: Thank you, Joanne. And we have Scott Singer, who has lots of initials after his name, and I'm not quite sure what they all mean. But he's the director of admissions and uh, for and psychological care. And Healing Center. Is that correct? Did I get it
6: right, Scott? That's right on the button. Thanks, Dr. G.
2: It's a pleasure to have you on. So I talked a little bit about this experience of what I felt this trauma was for me when I saw what happened in Poway and how it felt so removed from me, but it brought a lot of my family history up, and one of the things we were talking about before we came on this show, this concept of trauma and how it may be intergenerational. So I'm wondering if we could elaborate uh, on that with our audience. So I'm going to actually ask my fellow psychologist to start, Dr. Joanne Barron.
5: Sure, intergenerational trauma or transgenerational trauma gets passed down in in many ways. Um, It can be passed on in uterine. We know that uh, when mothers are pregnant and whatever experiences they're going through, it's going to affect the actual DNA of the child, but even in other ways. So the human, the human brain and the nervous system of infants and children during particular critical developmental periods is formed and grows and adapts through the environment. And our earliest caregivers, usually our mothers or our parents, um, We, their job, even though they don't know it, is to (laughs) teach us to regulate our nervous system. So if our parents are suffering from unresolved trauma, that's going to get passed on to us. There's no way that they can help us to to regulate if they haven't learned to regulate their own nervous systems.
2: So let me ask you a question actually around that because it's something I'm thinking about with a client, so maybe I can get some good uh, su- supervision here. Do you think that... Um, regulation, let's say, being able to monitor that within yourself. Do you think there's a time period for that, that if you don't get that skill, you may not ever be able to develop it?
5: Well, I believe that the human brain is very plastic, but I think the first three years are very, very important. And the earlier the trauma, the earlier the traumatic wounds or the disconnection or the misattunement, the more difficult it's going to be to learn that kind of And
2: regulation. that's our responsibility sometimes as loved ones or therapists to act as that piece that may be missing uh, within someone
5: Exactly, I know that as therapists but also as parents
2: And, and as human being, and, that's yeah. always a good way to do it too I'm going <laughs> to I mean, ask Tanya because I know you do a lot, since we're on we're talking about kids, I know you work a lot with children and trauma, so I'm wondering if you can, you know, respond to the question, elaborate on what we're talking about
3: Many times when young people do talk to me about things that they have gone through, it usually um, goes back to something that's going on in the household. It always has something to do with the adults in their life. And I think that many times the adults in their life don't recognize that everything that they do around children have an effect on who these kids are and who they become as adults. Um, I did want to respond to what she said in regards to um, mothers And being pregnant, my mom was shot uh, while she was pregnant with my young brother uh, at the time. She didn't know. Of course, she was pregnant. She had got shot. And when he was young, he was actually diagnosed with mental illness very early. Um, He was in preschool. He had got kicked out of preschool uh, because he kept being very violent, short-tempered. Two, three years old, you're thinking, who gets kicked out of preschool? But, you know, after a while, they... You, you know take them to the doctor. Really try to figure out what's going on. And when you look back at it, it was the trauma that she suffered makes as sense. a pregnant woman. That but, goes
2: along with what yeah. we're saying about that intergenerational Absolutely. trauma. <laughs>
3: Absolutely.
2: You know, t- talking. We have we're lucky enough tonight to have two people who are uh, military vets. So I'm you know who have lived through their own trauma. And I'm wondering if you both can share a little bit of your story and your feelings around trauma. So I'm going to start with you, Scott.
6: Sure. Uh, Thanks, Dr. G. So a little bit about me. I'm a helicopter crew chief, uh, combat vet, U.S. Army. Um, For me, my transition out of the military and the PTSD diagnosis that I was later to find was really the catalyst in my life for the dysregulation. You know, I realized very early on in my story that I needed to do something about this. I have two young boys um, before their lives were impacted, you know, like mine was. So I think going through my story, it really led me down a very dark path for what must have been roughly two years, you know, of drugs and alcohol and just being maladaptive to civilian life. Um, what I found was with psychotherapy, some exposure work, I, I was able to get some tools that were vital uh, those I still carry in practice to this day
2: you know with the we, we only have about a minute and a half left, but I want to make sure we get Alicia on and hear her story, and then we 're going to talk more about this after the break. but Alicia, a little bit about your story and how you suffered PTSD in the military.
4: Yeah. So first and foremost, I just think it's really great that we are talking about trauma um from a lens of not just PTSD and in veterans. Oftentimes we think that veterans are the only ones who suffer from trauma. But from what the panel is saying, that we've all experienced trauma at some point in our life. Um, For me, my greatest source of trauma came from not serving in the military, but when my mother was murdered. And so when I went through that whole process of grieving and and realizing everything, I realized, wow, I am really suffering from PTSD And I could trace that back to my military roots. But from my experience working with hundreds of veterans, normally our first source of trauma was before we ever served.
2: You know, that's a great place for us. That is very powerful. Um, And I definitely want to talk about that after the break so if you 're out there and you're dealing with any kind of drama that 's what our panel's trying to tell you. The one thing I want you to hear is that there's no shame in what you experience that this is something very common and definitely there are professionals out there that can help you so, if you want to call in and talk to our panel, the number is one eight hundred two 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 five two 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 you can email us at engage seven ninety at gmail dot com We want to hear your stories we want to hear your questions we'll be back right after the break break.
0: Are you looking for an alternative to drug and alcohol rehabilitation that allows you to recover in the privacy of your own home with an individualized program that meets your specific needs? Concierge Detox LA can be that alternative. Headed by medical addiction specialist Dr. Damon Raskin and clinical psychologist Dr. Howard Gloss, Concierge Detox LA will design an individualized program to meet your recovery needs. For more information, contact Concierge Detox LA at 323-935-9712.
1: Are you in debt to the IRS? Are back taxes becoming a heavy burden on your life? If so, there is great news. IRS-approved Fresh Start Relief programs are being made available to delinquent taxpayers through the Community Tax Hotline. If you are receiving wage garnishment, bank levy, payroll taxes, liens, are under audit or owe the IRS more than $10,000 and can't afford to pay, your circumstances may allow you to escape a significant amount of what you owe or qualify you for other IRS relief programs. Call the Community Tax Hotline Now at 800-342-4301. Now is the time to break free from IRS collections with this opportunity. Qualifying may end all collections, audits, and reduce your back taxes by thousands of dollars. If you owe the IRS back taxes or have years of unfiled returns, call the Community Tax Hotline today for a free consultation and to see if you qualify. Call 800-342-4301. 800-342-4301. That's 800-342-4301.
7: Lou Manfredini here, and this House Smart's Minute is brought to you by Bonide, providing best solutions for your home, lawn, garden, and farm. When's the last time you cleaned your garbage and recycling bins? They might be used for waste, but they need a little TLC, too. Take your empty bins outside and squirt some dish soap into the bottom. Use a sprayer attached to the garden hose to pressure wash the inside. Rinse and repeat if needed. This will freshen things up, and I promise you, your garbage collector will thank you, too. More information at smartstv.com. And now this. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Simple statement, big problem. Bonnet has the answer to all your bed bug problems bonides dual action bed bug killers kill on contact kill all stages of the bed bug and remain effective for weeks use bonides bed bug products on mattresses upholstery luggage and wherever bed bugs may live they're available in easy to use aerosol fogger and ready-to-use formulations bonide products are family made in america bonides bed bug products are available at a retailer near you or visit bonide.com
2: real news straight talk seven ninety
1: Welcome back to Engaging Minds with your host, Dr. Howard Gluss, licensed clinical psychologist.
2: I'm Dr. G and we're back with Engaging Minds. We're talking about healing the wounds of trauma. The number to call in is 1-800-222-5222. The email is engage790 at gmail.com. And I started to, I opened up the show talking about a hate crime and I wanted to open this up to my panel about their feelings and thoughts around it because we've seen a rise in hate crimes in this country and I have obviously a lot (laughs) of theories and thoughts about it, but I want to hear from my panel first. So I'm going to go to Tanya and your feelings about why, you know, how this kind of trauma might be unique for people experiencing a hate
8: crime.
3: You know, I learned a long time ago that the people that um, act hateful towards others are really dealing with something inside of them. Um, it took a long time, but I, as a young girl, a uh, dark-skinned girl, was treated a certain way. You know, you find out later, you start asking, instead of saying, you know, what's wrong with him? I started asking what happened to him. So That's what happened to them for them to feel like I'm a threat or that they need to do something towards me and the things that are going on now in our society definitely takes me back to my childhood. So there is a level of um, fear because you always wonder what someone might do to you directly, but I always have to, uh, you know, circle back to understand something is going on with this person in order to not feel another level of hatred towards them. Right. And I think we need to start really focusing on what's going on to make people act hateful towards another group of people. And I know that's a hard place to um, look, especially when we are maybe living on a, in a level of fear, but that's really what's going on. And if we continue to actually ask those questions and dig for those answers, that will give us more solutions than it will, um, you know, just saying something's wrong with them. They're hateful.
2: Uh, Right. But it also brings up for me, one of the Thoughts that came to mind when you were talking about the sense of powerlessness in that someone you can be the victim of a hate crime and not know, you know, really be completely innocent. And it has to do with you said what happened to that person and why they need in some ways to empower themselves by committing a crime.
3: The scary part is it probably, like we've all stated, uh, goes back to what's going on in their household. Yes. What <laughs> I think that's going parents. to be a theme the whole day. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, it, it is. is. Dr. Uh, Barrett? Parents,
5: yeah, it does go back to their own trauma. and But it also speaks to our culture. And right. that, to me, is something that needs to be addressed, too, because um, our culture doesn't promote uh, good mental health. And this is Mental Health Awareness Month. Everybody knows that, right? So, right, of course. So that, that, that conversation that. <laughs> uh, about stigma and talking about trauma, it's great that we're doing this show. But we're seeing more and more isolation, young kids and the, their social media and their electronics. They're not learning relational skills. They're not learning how important it is to communicate. Um, we're seeing people more and more isolated. Um, The climate in this country is really very separate. People are really separated. Right. But hate crimes are so particularly terrible because when, when victims know that someone is purposely trying to hurt them for no other reason than they are who they are, that has a particular profound effect on that person or that group of people.
2: Yeah, yeah, it goes with that feeling of, you know, feeling powerless, like you didn't really do anything. And here you are a victim of, uh, you know, a hate crime because of somebody, like Tanya said, somebody else's, um, probably parenting and the way they grew up. And, and our culture is encouraging it right now with this, uh, you know, this polarization in our culture. It's, it's not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious for my other guests to hear a little bit about your thoughts around it, Alicia.
4: Yeah, I just think, uh, you know, the interesting thing about this is the victims of these hate crimes are always, you know, the communities, the, the innocent bystanders, um, our first responders. Oftentimes people think of. Our veterans, as you know, we, we hear about veterans and our suicide rates and there's 22 a day is, is the statistic of veterans who are taking their own lives. But, um, now that these hate crimes are bringing first responders into this mix also. And I just spoke to a nurse recently who said, um, the suicide rate in hospitals is so high because nurses are going from one trauma to the other, never able to deal with it, handle it. They, they can't, they compartmentalize it and then they go home and they're, they're alone and they're dealing with all of the traumas of the day. And from a mental health standpoint, we're not looking at our nurses and our first responders and saying, how can we help you? You guys need something too. And so I think, um, instead of looking at what affects these hate crimes in the home is really just looking at those who are impacted by it. And from a mental health standpoint, how are we supporting them?
2: Yeah, yeah, and it goes along what we're talking about, this issue of shame, that I think if we didn't have so much shame around issues of mental health, we would be much further ahead. And like you said, caretakers rarely take care of themselves and that's always a big issue Uh, Scott I see you nodding your head so I'm wondering (laughs) what your thoughts are
6: well you know I work in the admissions landscape right for a mental health treatment center and for me you know I'm on the phone I would say eight hours of the day looking at what those objectives look like or objections look like excuse me and it's a lot around the stigma you know I've Uh never reached out for help I'm in fear of it's fear of the unknown Um, once you're able to normalize that and this goes across all areas this is professionals this is first responders this is doctors attorneys lawyers um it's really broad reaching but i think the missing piece and, and the undertone of all of this is the connection i mean it's connections in the household it's connections within the community it's knowing what's going on in your child's life it's knowing what's going on in this professional's life i think if we can start looking more towards a human a general real human connection i think that's where we're going to start bridging those gaps
2: and uh, there's this whole theory uh, about addiction and how a lot of times addiction is really a disconnection and and not attaching and i don't know if this is the correct word let's say a disattachment (laughs) and we started to talk about that earlier and i want to talk more about that the relationship between trauma and addiction so again i i see lots of nodding going on but i'm wondering um uh, Dr. Barron, or anyone, just <laughs> go right in. Tanya?
3: I just, I wanted to kind of ask you guys, we I run, attended a uh, lecture not too long ago from Dr. Adelman of Stanford University, uh, Center for uh, Youth Mental Health and Wellness, and they said that kids, when they have mental illness, it sets in at age 14, right? So my question to them was, well, what are we doing at 12 and 13 to keep it from Setting in. So we, when we were talking about hatefulness, you got to think that if someone's being hateful as an adult, they've been carrying that ability to be hateful. I look at I look at hate crimes as a mental illness.
2: I do, too. I'm right. Sure. I do too. So I look yeah. at it as yeah.
3: a mental illness. So clearly it's set in at a early age and at 14, it is it is solidified as an illness. So what are we doing? And I I would like to ask the doctors, you know, what are we doing? You know, and those those early stages to catch that. And is there anything that we can do to keep it from, especially with with that hatefulness, right? That's- well, the first
2: thought that went through my I mean, there's uh, there's you know books and books written about this, but I think exposure and education is mm-hmm. one thing that's important. Mm-hmm. That you know, if you're exposed to a diversified group of people, let's say, while you're in school, Uh, you might start developing empathy, let's say, for African-Americans if you haven't really been exposed to that. So it doesn't become something that is depersonalized. You actually have a personal relationship with that person and there's an empathy. You don't look at it as something, um, let's say, distinct or separate from yourself. And I think – I believe the more we can do that with all kinds of groups of people – whether it's sexual orientation or culture, the more we can develop empathy, the more we have a chance of, um, I think, minimizing some hate crimes. I mean, that's one opinion. There's hundreds of others. I'd love to hear from the group about that.
5: Well, one of the things that I think is important and and that you hit on it um, is that our culture doesn't really support good mental health because we wait until... 13, 14, or until someone is already using or has an addiction or acts out violently. It really has to start much younger than that. And because our culture isn't very family friendly, you know, mothers are very important people. Mothers need a lot of support. And so it starts in the home. It starts with having mothers who haven't been through trauma, who have enough support, to be emotionally well and stable while they're rearing their children, while they're raising their children. It starts with children having a home to come to that um, feels safe, secure, and welcoming. There's a study, the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, that shows that when children grow up in poverty or violence or from divorced parents or when parents are going to jail, that they grow up not only to have many more mental health problems, but also physical health conditions as well.
2: And it goes to your statement about taking the importance of mental health, that a lot of times we don't start looking at mental health issues till after the crime. Right. There's a caller I want to take him on. His name is John. I'm going to open it up to our panel, and he's from Sherman Oaks, and I want to welcome him on to the show. Uh, John, it's a pleasure to have you on.
8: Oh, yeah. Hello. Yes, hi, John. This is Dr. G. Oh, thank you. I'm on the show. Um, yes, yeah, you are. <laughs> I, yeah. So your question is, um, is
2: there a way to change the trauma we experience as a kid?
8: Yeah, because I experienced a ton of trauma, and I really have not um, got any help. I'm 32 years old now. Right. Um, and a lot of it you guys were talking about was um, I come from a family with a, a lot of um, my dad was very abusive, um, beating my mom, you know, beating my brothers and sisters, a lot of stuff. And I was raised in East L.A. <clears throat> and so then there's another aspect of that. Um, there's a lot of gangs. And so I started, uh, I got in a lot of trouble, and I started acting that out um, right. with violence um, and hate and racism. Um, and that's what I was taught. And, but, that that kind of goes along
2: with what we're saying so let me just help you out are you saying that can someone change their way, can they heal trauma, which is what our show is about and change their way uh, uh, let's say their belief system
8: well I think earlier you guys were talking or Dr. Barron, I think her name is, she was talking about the brain being plastic Um, so I take that as flexible um, and that Uh, something with the central nervous system and that, um, right. You guys are talking about the younger that people get help, they can change and that, in the brain, uh, wiring and so on can change. But I was thinking, well, while I'm 32 years old, um, How do I change
2: that? That's a great question. We're going to go around. You know, we only have about a minute left before commercial, but I want you to stay on and we'll address it afterwards. But it goes along with what we're saying today about healing uh, the wounds of trauma. Each one of our persons is going to have a strong opinion because they're experts in their own way. So I'm going to start with Alicia. What are your thoughts? What would you say to John?
4: For one, John, I just want to say, you know, thank you for being so courageous and taking the first step and saying, I want to make a change. I think that's the first start and um, reaching out for help and saying, I believe that there's more to me than the trauma that I've experienced. So I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable and courageous. And um, I know that there's a way for you to overcome this. It's just a matter of deciding who you want to be and what that looks like and finding the right help to get that.
6: And
2: the right exposure for that, too. Uh,
6: Scott? Scott? Hey, John. uh, Thank you for calling in. Uh, I know it takes a lot. That phone feels like a thousand pounds on the end of it. Um, For me, I want to really encourage your your real search to try to find something different. Uh, Willingness uh, to do something different is often the most difficult thing to cultivate. Um, Looking at some form of psychotherapy treatment um, would probably be a great start, whether that's inpatient or outpatient or with an individual therapist. Um, it really helps to really do some deep fact-finding and excavation and find out where this is coming from. It sounds like you have a lot of insight already. Now it's time to dig in deeper, I think, and start developing the tools.
2: Scott, we're going to take a break, but uh, John, if you could stay on, that would be great. Your question was, is it too late? And none of us think it's too late. I'm Dr. G. We're going to be back right after the commercials.
1: Welcome back to Engaging Minds with your host, Dr. Howard Glus, licensed clinical psychologist.
2: I'm Dr. G. We're back with Engaging Minds. We're talking about healing the wounds of trauma, and I want to bring our caller back on. His name is John, and he's calling in from Sherman Oaks, so I want to welcome him back to the show. Uh, John, it's a pleasure to have you back on. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, great, John. So we've been having a great discussion about your question and my panel wants to share some of their insight. So I'm going to go back to Scott and then sort of go. Well, you can't see the order of our panel, but work our way down. So Scott, go ahead. And Alicia, you can chime in anytime. So.
6: So yeah, John, uh, Scott again. So really quick. So and looking at your question if there's a way to change the trauma you experience as a child, i don't think it's necessarily about changing the trauma. I think it's about changing the way you live with that, and then how those symptoms present in your daily life uh One, I would look at the the alcohol piece you you said that a little bit in your story and how you were taking care of yourself and how that was part of the culture uh and you being raised in east los angeles so i'm I'm very familiar with the area, and you know I encourage you just to keep questioning. Where this is coming from and then taking a proactive reach out into doing what you can do or doing what you can do for yourself. Um, But yeah, I I think that just overall some individualized therapy, uh, looking at how these things are manifesting in your life um, would really give you great benefit.
2: And uh, I I want to also add to that, I think that's great advice, Scott, that in my experience change happens through experience. And if you could put yourself in situations where you can have a different experience of what you grew up with, that's sort of organically might help some of the change uh to happen. Uh Dr. Barron?
5: Yeah. Um thank you for calling in, John. Um very good question, and I do believe that people can change at any age. I think that healing comes through relationship. Just as our brain and our nervous system form in relationship to others, we heal in relationship to others. We don't do it alone. So finding support, finding therapy, I think that being as you were talking about dr g um having a different experience being in a supportive group or with a supportive therapist you can start to have a different experience of being accepted being seen uh your feelings and emotions and behaviors being really accepted and understood in a different way than Yeah the past, getting that the empathy past.
2: and non-judgmental yeah and that uh, starts look at to it.
8: repair
2: uh tanya yeah, that makes does that make sense sean
8: yeah it does make sense i just wanted to say i back about six years ago i started attending um church and um i met a minister there and so as far as you mentioned something about my beliefs earlier but as far as my beliefs i don't hold the same beliefs that i used to um i didn't know i could do that until about six years ago but but what happens with me is when like I'm at the gym or something happens, um, you know, somebody, you know, at the gym, you know, gets voice or, you know, acts tough or something comes out in the news or whatever is that I find, I, I find myself not wanting to, to strike back at them or something, but I find myself getting anxious um, and, and, yeah, just a lot of anxiety.
2: Comes I, I want Tanya to address it. Uh, Tanya, you have some great thoughts you can share with John.
3: Absolutely. I I applaud you for calling in. I wanted to say I think the most important thing is to make sure that you don't place yourself in situations where you are re-traumatized. Like you were talking about your triggers, it's important to know what your triggers are and avoiding situations that will put you back in that place where those triggers have you feeling anxious or uncertain as to how you might react, Um, because that's what trauma does. It affects us. It affects how we feel. It affects what we want to do. It brings back old emotions. So most importantly is making sure that you are not in situations where you are re-traumatized or re-triggered by some of those things that you know are unnecessary in your life. So like they were saying before, knowing the life that you want to, knowing the life that you want to live and providing yourself with a trauma-informed community that will not re-traumatize you and support you in that life that you are trying to build. I think it's very important, even if that includes family, um, old friends, those things are important to avoid just as much as it is to build um, the type of life that you want to be in.
2: Uh, I think that's great advice. So, John, I want to thank you very much for calling into the show. I hope we've been able to give you some great advice, and we wish you the best of luck in the future
8: yeah thank you very much
2: thanks john um you were talking you know i want to address this to my panel we're talking about the concept of trauma how about we share with our audience ways of healing the wounds of trauma what you would recommend as far as treatment we've we've addressed some of it in the conversation to john but i want to hear a little bit more let's elaborate on it so alicia i'm going to start with you
4: Okay. Thank you so much. So in terms of heal I'm just so taken back by his story and how courageous too, he was. And um I just right. make my, my brain is still thinking about that. But in terms of healing my own trauma, uh, like I said, I was the biggest shock to me outside of my PTSD from the military was dealing with my mom's murder. Right. And I really found myself uh feeling at the lowest of low, really struggling to balance that. And it brought up every other emotion I've ever felt in my life. And for me, the biggest thing was finding a sense of connectedness. And that's something that Bunker Labs has been tremendous and very instrumental in. And um, there's a theory called the self-determination theory by doctors. Um, Edward Dicci and Ryan was the other one out of the University of Rochester. And they said there's three main principles of really feeling healing trauma, feeling connected, and feeling like we belong, and that's connectedness, autonomy, and competence. And that's something I really found through Bunker Labs, and that's really how we help our veteran entrepreneurs. It's while we're an accelerator for entrepreneurship, at the heart of it is this tribe feeling and this helping soldiers transition. And I find that once we feel like we belong and we feel connected, From there, we can really start to heal our wounds and feel like we belong again.
2: Again, we've we've talked, I agree with you completely. I mean, one of the things I struggle with with patients sometimes who start therapy is a sense of they can do it all on their own. And I always wanted, especially around addiction, I'm thinking of someone I'm dealing with right now who has had a problem with crystal meth for a long time and is actually a very successful businessman and keeps going back to this place of, you know, I could do it all on my own, and I'm trying to – underneath the addiction, I know there's a lot of trauma, but I can't get to it enough to make an impact because every time we start to get to it, we have to deal with the addiction all over again. So it's it's like having your your – you know, the gas and the brake on at the same time. (laughs) And,
9: um,
2: you know, I, I just think that, you know, he, this person keeps coming back to me with this thought of I can do it on my own. Yet when it comes to business, he has all these consultants around him. He has all these people working and it goes into that, um, you know, that, that shame around mental health that somehow he has to be able to do it on his own. And I, I, Kind of make a joke with him and always say, Great, how's it going? <laughs> <You know? laughs> how's it going with you? <laughs> so, um, you know, Scott, your thoughts about, you know, someone, what you think is some of the most important elements in dealing with trauma and healing the wounds?
6: Well, so. To piggyback right on the back of that, it's the connection piece. I think the the underlying part of that is feeling terminally unique, right? That no one else has these symptoms, that the vast majority of people don't go through experiences similar to this when it's ex- it's exactly opposite, right? I think the majority of people, especially in today's climate, are experiencing either developmental, big T trauma uh Significant situations that dramatically impact their life, uh, and to go back to the addictions piece, I think that 's the common outlet you know I, I I see a lot of vets and a lot of civilians too on this side of the fence. Seemingly struggling with alcoholism or or drug use. Well, or. it's almost
4: glamorized. I feel like right. with you really see a glamorization of alcohol and substance abuse in the military culture, and there's this huge stigma around seeking mental health and so <laughs> or mental health. Yeah,
2: yeah, especially with some of the men I've dealt with, the whole you know, march, the concept of what masculinity is and how it relates to feelings that somehow you're right. not supposed to deal with feelings, which is kind of interesting because I well. I don't know. I don't know. But I haven't been in the military. But as far as the training goes and how it's related to dealing with feelings,
6: yeah, so drink water and change your socks mentality.
4: Right. <laughs> and we're really trained to be warriors. You know, when, when we're in the military, you think of, you know, fighters and these military and, you know, we have all this training leadership and we do have all of these really great skills that we bring to the table. But we're we're raised in this warrior mentality. And when we get out, people are thanking us for our service as if our service has stopped and we're no longer relevant and needed. Right. And so what that feels like is now we're we're taking on a victim mentality from a warrior mentality. So it's it's almost a double slap in the face. Now I'm a victim and now I I need this mental health that I thought I was too tough to need. Yeah, It's
2: very confusing. We're going to stop for a break. If you want to call in, if you want to talk to our panel about trauma, if you have a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Our number is one eight hundred two 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 five two two two. You could also email us at engage790 at gmail.com. I'm Dr. G. We'll be back right after the commercials. I'm Dr. G. And we're back with the final segment of our show. We're talking about healing the wounds of trauma. And um, I want to take on, we have a couple callers. We're going to at least try to get one on uh, before the end of the show. Her name is Irma. And she's from Los Alamitos. And uh, first of all, let me welcome her to the show. So, Irma, it's a pleasure to have you on.
6: Thank you very much, sir. Uh,
2: so your question is that uh you have PTSD and you need help looking for suggestions. Is that correct?
5: Yes. This PTSD is from my terrible childhood.
2: Okay. And... Uh,
5: i had a lot of psychological help starting when I was about 21, but I still need more. I still need more help. I'm not able to do enough by myself.
2: Um, so some brief suggestions to help Irma feel a little more functional. We'll start with Dr. Barron.
5: Well, I'd really have to know more about sure. what you're talking about, Irma. But there, uh, Los Alamitos, I'm not sure where that is. But In look, California, it's near. It's it's in Orange County. In Orange County. So as we were all talking about, it's really important to have a community, a group, um, a connection with others where you can feel safe and you can feel supported
3: in your recovery. I think that's one of the first so things. So community
2: is really important. Tanya?
3: I would say know your triggers. You have to at least acknowledge um, the things that set you off and avoid those. Um, there are things that from my own personal childhood watching um, my mom get shot and her boyfriend get murdered there're certain songs that trigger me there're certain situations like um parties um i don't i don't attend them and maybe that doesn't work for most people my age but um if i know that it's something that sets me off or it triggers me or it triggers my ptsd i have to avoid it i think it. that's great advice I have to avoid yeah it.
2: you have to be honest with yourself scott
3: yeah uh, I would look at
6: my resources in my local area, maybe an outpatient program. I don't know what your scheduling or availability is. If it's a situation to where it's very acute, I would say, hey, look and explore the residential treatment world. Um, there's all kinds of facilities out there with various resources. Or, you know, if you're not able to go into a residential program, look at a partial or intensive outpatient program.
2: And I want to add to that, that Irma, you said that you had some psychotherapy, you know. Dealing with trauma is a lifelong issue and it'll come up in different ways at different periods of your life. So the goal is really to have, to decrease the intensity of, of being re-traumatized. So there's no shame in getting help, uh, really, no ma, no matter what is going on. It's not like, you know, I did it once and now it's over or, you know, I got some antibiotics and I'm cured. It doesn't, the mechanics don't really work that way. Alicia?
4: Yes, Irma. And like Dr. G said, it is a lifelong mission of dealing with your trauma, but just realize that you have the choice to let this define you or to not let it define you. So really identify what your trauma points are, breathe through them, and find some steps and some resources to help you overcome this so that your trauma doesn't define you. But the choice is yours. You have the power to deal with it.
2: I think this is great advice, Irma. I want to, I want to thank you for calling in on the show and please call in some other time.
5: Thank you. You're
2: welcome. Okay, and I we have Mark. Uh, he's calling in from Westwood. I just want to hear his comment about trauma. So, Mark, I want to welcome you to the show.
9: Yeah, love your show. Um, Thank you, Mark. My, yeah, my uh, background is more, I, I did uh, some years of psychoanalysis, you know, obviously Freudian-based, but uh, I just had a thought, and some of it I think is a little bit general thinking. I try to think outside of my own experiences, but uh, you know, uh, it wasn't Super traumatic in my childhood, but there was enough issues that, uh, you know, I wanted to look deeper inside, and I found psychoanalysis uh, really helpful. And just in, Dr. G., when you were talking about your patient who has a problem where he wants to do it on his own, and I was looking at a little bit of a tie-in, even with this nice gentleman who called in with his own background with drugs and, and violence, etc., My feeling in general about people, I apply it to myself, but I think it's a human experience. I just wanted to throw it out to your panel and you, Dr. G, is that I think one of the problems that people have until they dig deep and see it is that they're also breaking with their childhood and with their parents. And I think it's very painful when people Mm -hmm. have to start to look down on a parental figure and also see that they weren't protected and they weren't safe. And that brings up another layer of emotions of feeling abandoned and angry and disassociated. And then I think there's an element of some of your identity as a childhood will then change with the new person you want to become in some ways, and that can be frightening. And, of course, you have to take the big leap and realize you're still going to be you, but a different you. And I just wanted to throw that. First of
2: all, Mark, I think these are great comments. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time, but they're really great comments. What you're saying is there's anxiety on both sides of the fence. There's anxiety and fear about letting go of and seeing an experience for the reality of what it is, and then there's anxiety and growth. I'm going to go around to my panel and have them address it and also... Give the give uh their personal information out to our audience if people want to get in touch with them. So I'm gonna start with Tanya, if you wanna make a comment on what Mark had to say or share any of your thoughts or feelings.
3: I think you're spot on. And I wrote my book, um, A Child Memories of Cartoons and Murder for that particular reason. Part of um healing is the honesty and acknowledging, right? So the acknowledgement portion of it. Uh when I was a, when you're a kid and you're going through trauma, many times we hide it. We wear a mask. Um, and it took me until my adulthood to be able to acknowledge the things that I had gone through and then have these honest conversations with my mom. Um, and that, that brought on a lot of healing. So I did write about that um, in my book. And because the healing had started, um, I was able to get through that. So um, that's definitely something you can you can always look at.
2: So, Tanya, why don't you go ahead with the time that we have, share your information as far as how people can get in touch with you.
3: I'm pretty easy. You can find me at com. That's T-O-N-Y-A. M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E uh, dot com. Or I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter at P-R-B-I-Z-M-O-M. And um, your podcast. My and my podcast. Yes, you can check us out at My Morning Coffee. Um, and it is me. Uh, we have a therapist and also an officer and fashionista. So we discuss all of those things from three different generations, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Thanks. And we all have some good stuff.
2: That's great information. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Tonya. We just have a few minutes left, so I'm going to go to Dr. Barron. And first, why don't you share your information with our audience, how they can get in touch with you?
5: You can get in touch with me at our center. It's called Trauma and Beyond TraumaAndBeyondPsychologicalCenter.com. Um, our phone number is 818-351-3511. And um, we do offer outpatient services for people who have... Developmental or shock trauma.
2: You know, before we answer Mark, I want to make sure we only have three minutes left. Then everyone gets their contact information shared. So Scott, if people want to get in touch with you.
6: Yeah. Uh, I'm at Psychological Care and Healing Center. The phone line is 888. 888- seven two four zero zero four zero and it's primary mental health both in residence treatment and outpatient services.
2: And Alicia?
4: Hi yes, you can reach me at Alicia. It's A L I C I A at bunkerlabs dot org and three one zero eight one eight one two three four. I'm also on Instagram at Alicia A L I C I A underscore H A N F
2: So, Alicia, one final thought you want to share with our audience uh, that's inspirational in dealing with trauma.
4: Yes. I just think that, as I said a a minute ago, um, the choice is yours. When my mother was murdered, I sat down in front of my brothers and I said, this is going to be a defining moment for us. We have to choose how we let this define us. So that you have that. You have the power. You're stronger than you know. And it's your life to live. Yeah, yeah, the choices yeah, are yours. And you can get
2: the help you, get, you can get the help you need in order to create some distance from the trauma to be able to have some free will and make those choices, Scott.
6: And when you find that place of willingness to do something different, act on it.
2: That's great advice, (laughs) Dr. Barron. I just want to say
5: that some people um, are walking around suffering and they don't even know that they have trauma. Yeah. And so they may be suffering from depression, anxiety, substance abuse, OCD, all these other things. Um, And the the trauma is suppressed because of what Mark was talking about um, as a child our only defense is to cut it off, push it away not let ourselves feel it or know it
2: to depersonalize, disconnect from the That's trauma right. That's right. and then we could spend the rest of our lives trying to reconnect to ourselves <laughs>
6: exactly. which may also
2: mean reconnecting to our trauma So, listen, I want to thank everyone for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you on. I know that we can talk about this for another five hours, but I think what's important is that we've been able to give our audience members some insight in dealing with trauma, maybe remove some of the shame. As Dr. Barron said, it's uh, it's Mental Health Awareness Week, so we're glad to be able to create some awareness around that. And to me, probably... I mean, there's so many great takeaways, but what I love about this panel, and I hope our audience gets it, that there is a lot of professional help out there, and there's people that want to support you. There's people that have been through it themselves and developed their own insight, and through that, uh, they form communities of support. Thank you. It's a pleasure again to have everyone on. We'll be back next week. I'm Dr. G. Have a great night.